Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast. Today we are focusing on Proper 16 in Year A as we continue our series, The Church God Wants. You can read more about it in the Foundation Resources, but here's a quick reminder. If you ask people, what do you want in a church, you'll get a wide, wide range of responses. But we're asking, what does God want in a church, and what is important to Him? We're exploring the answer to those questions as we listen to the scripture readings in Propers 15 through 19. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, moderating once again. Our preachers for this series are Pastor Daniel Bondo from Living Savior Lutheran Church in Littleton, Colorado, and Pastor Jeremy Belter from Shepherd of the Valley Lutheran Church, the Candelis Campus in Arvada, Colorado. Also with us today is Professor Brad Wardell from the seminary. Good to be with you all. Um, Jeremy Belter, let's talk about Proper 16 today, the second Sunday in the Church God Wants series that we began last time. Just uh, share with us a few thoughts, if you would, about this week's theme. Yeah, thank you. Um, you might think um, if, if you're going to put together a series of re, a series of sermons on you know what the church God wants, you might think, well, it should just be taken for granted that a church proclaims Jesus as Lord and Savior, right? We we don't need to spend a whole week on that. Really, we should just take that for granted. And sadly, um, among Christian churches in our world and our in our nation, how many people on a Sunday morning don't hear Jesus proclaimed as Lord and Savior, sadly. And yet that is not a new thing. It's not a new phenomenon in our century, in our country or anything. Um, let's go all the way back through uh, through the history of the history of God's revelation throughout the Old and New Testament. And you're going to see that again and again and again. God has to reveal, he has to proclaim, this is who he is. And this is who he wants to be known as. And this is who he reveals himself as. You're going to see it in the, you'll see it in the Matthew section, but especially as we get into the Exodus 34 section today, uh, God is a God who is faithful to his word. He is faithful to his law. He is faithful to his gospel. And it's only through him that people are saved. And so while it may, we, we may think we'll take this for granted, we definitely do not want to take it for granted. So it's a great thing that we have a theme for in this, in this series. What does the, what, what kind of church does God want? He wants a church that is proclaiming Jesus as, as Lord and Savior. Yeah, thank you. Nothing to take for granted. And right, I think it is wise to spend a Sunday just concentrating on that truth that is at the very heart of uh, all of our churches. That's where we want it to be. Um, Daniel Bondo, let's go to you next. We're going to focus on the first reading as our sermon text, but could you give us a short synopsis of the gospel and the second reading today? Thank you, John. The uh, gospel for this week is Matthew 16, a well-known section where Jesus, Jesus initiates the question, right, of who do people say I am? And what's kind of neat about being in this era of the church year is we're almost in line with the time of year before our celebration of our Holy Week, like eight months ahead, that Jesus was with his disciples, you know, before they got to Holy Week. And, and asking this key question uh, highlights for us where the focus of our faith is. So unfortunately, as, as um, Jeremy mentioned earlier, there's, a, there's so many wrong answers that are out there, and you have a, a variety of Jesuses in public opinion. There's the John the Baptist, there's the, the Elijah and Jeremiah, and all of these wrong answers go nowhere 
as far as what happens next. And instead, what we get to see is a right answer, a right confession from Peter and Jesus describing the blessedness of that of faith and confession. So as he builds on this rock, this confession of faith, Jesus emphasizes that this is what over, overpowers hell. And this is the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You're going to put this name to use and to work in this world. So you unload the whole message and ministry of the church as Jesus um, hands it off in that way that's right here in the meat and potatoes of Matthew 16. So, so crucial as far as identity of Christ and really then the identity we have in him and uh, the mission we've received. The second reading, Romans 10, is sort of like it, where you have a, a false perspective, like a false Jesus, a relationship to him, when Paul brings up the Jews. And, you know, in his big picture, he wants to describe how you can have these different um, backgrounds and history between Jew and Gentile, but there's one Lord and one Lord of all that he's going to say in this text. So first he highlights that there's some false thing that the Jews have been after. And uh, it's great language because it talks about having this zeal for God, but it's not based on knowledge. There's, so this true identity of God is lost as they pursue a righteousness that's by the law and on the basis of their own works. So then the Apostle Paul says, what does faith say? How is faith talk when it comes to righteousness with God? And you have the beautiful, intimate language of the word that is near you, you know, like, like God made flesh and the God who creates and, and gives faith um, on the basis of Christ. Everything done for us, not requiring something of us, but it's all about him as Lord and God and a God who raised him from the dead. Along those same lines as before with the ministry, Paul couples this with, we call on this God, whoever calls on this God, whoever you are, um, you are saved. So there's a neat aspect to the way we appropriate this name that's based on faith, the righteousness of God and faith receiving it in prayer and in ministry to people. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I think as we get into our sermon text, that's uh, that's the focal point, isn't it? Who is this Lord uh, who dwells with us in his word, who freely gives us his faithfulness and his promises? Uh, let's go then to our sermon text for the day, Exodus 34, verses 5 through 9. Brad Wardell, could you get us started in thinking about this text? And then we'll uh, kind of open it up for further discussion. Yeah, thank you, John. I think it's hard to overestimate the importance of this text, the significance of it, and the beauty of this part of Scripture. And whenever I've preached on this part of God's word, I've thought, how can I do it justice? And I hope that our discussion will give some encouragement uh, to those who will be preaching on this wonderful text from God's word. It is the place in the Bible where God unpacks the meaning of his name. He opens up his heart uh, to Moses and he says to Moses, this is who I am. We'll get into the specifics of the text a little bit later in our discussion, especially as we talk about law and gospel, or as we have it in this text, gospel and then law. 
But I would like to start with a few comments on the context, uh, seeing where this beautiful part of God's word fits into uh, Exodus and into the whole Old Testament. Uh, first, the immediate context is very important. The Lord has been telling his people how they are to worship him. In fact, Exodus 25 through 40, that is almost a third of the book of Exodus, and it's all about how to worship God. Very detailed instructions about the building of the tabernacle. But even before Moses comes down the mountain, the Israelites are worshiping around a golden calf, which they pressured Aaron into making for them. Uh, they think they're worshiping the Lord, but they're doing it in a very sinful way in the way that the nations around them would do it. And their worship breaks God's clear commands. It really isn't worship of the Lord. It is offensive to him. And so there's doubt that the Lord will even continue with these people. God is angry. Moses intercedes for them. Moses asked God to show him his glory and his goodness, and God's answer to that request is to proclaim the goodness of his name. And so it's fitting that our discussions today should be about proper worship and then about the proper proclamation of God's name in worship, and there's no better text to do it than this one. As far as the wider context goes, you could say that the whole book of Exodus, more than any other book in the Old Testament, proclaims the name of the Lord. Who is he? What does he do? What is he promising? What is he going to do? And inside of this book of Exodus, there's probably no passage that explains the name of the Lord as clearly as chapter 34. Finally, uh, the wider context of the whole Old Testament, this passage is repeated many times throughout the rest of the Old Testament in the Pentateuch, in the Prophets, in the Psalms, in Nehemiah. It, it's almost like a repeated refrain. It's repeated almost in whole seven times or more uh, in the rest of the Old Testament. You could call it the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Old Testament believers knew it very well. Thank you for that, Brad. Um, let's open it up to a discussion of the text itself uh, after that helpful uh, setting of the context uh, in Exodus and in the rest of Scripture. Um, so this beautiful gospel text, uh, also um, there's a, a famous kind of law passage in here too, um, as God proclaims um, uh, his righteousness. Um, what do you do with preaching law and gospel from this text, or how do you approach it? Daniel? Well, I think uh, for starters, you could say of the chief aspects of our faith or what the church is to be, you can't go any further than the content of that faith. But that content for us on the receiving end, the, the people who are blind and live in darkness, right? We are in need of clear clarity and revelation. And we're very good at distorting what we think about God and what we even what we read about God and uh, making a whole mess out of it. And that's exactly where you sort of come into this text is that Moses is dealing with a people that have been clearly identified as stiff-necked. So you have this messy people, completely unreliable when it comes to like 
our side of this relationship and this demand and really this requirement for us to know what can we depend on? Because there's no leaving Sinai, Moses says, without having this. So you have this built-in understanding that if there's anything that's fickle and unsure and unreliable in this world, it's us and our sinfulness. Therefore, we need something. We need someone. And I think this relates in a real clear way to people's lives where you look at the world around you, what you need to live and to thrive in this world, and you grasp for things like a God, you know, for something to be dependable that you can rely on, even like gravity, you know, and um, I just think, imagine if we didn't have anything that we could rely and depend on in this world, um, how would we ever make sense of it? Nothing would be predictable. You know, nothing would be, uh, you couldn't make any plans for anything. So Moses is here pulling his hair out, but he's doing something essential in all humanity to identify for us what the one security is in the world, what the one real established, and it's God. Unless you go with us, we can't go anywhere. And when God promises to go, um, Moses says, give it to me, show me your, your glory. So I think in a beautiful way, you get to meet the name of God to this, this necessity we have to depend on something outside of ourselves. Okay, so, uh, so for um, looking at preaching the law from this text, we're also kind of going to the broader context, right, um, the, of the Israelites and uh, their stiff neck nature uh, that we can identify with. And also they're grasping at something, uh, anything to, to rely on, um, but often grabbing at anything except the only reliable one uh, who proclaims his name here. Uh, further thoughts on, on that, uh, Jeremy? Yeah, I mean, if we dig into the, the specific law a little bit, um, you know, when you look at just the beginning few verses of chapter 34, um, God tells Moses to go up the mountain and chisel um, two stone tablets out a second time, which begs the question, what, what happened the first time when he said, you know, God says to him, well, you broke them. Well, why did you break? Why did Moses break? So you're kind of <laughs> jumping into this, this text in the middle of everything. You know, what happened in the past? So let's just rewind a little bit. And, you know, to flesh out, you know, what Daniel was saying, the stiff necked people, who are the people of Israel? I mean, they had just witness the miraculous power of God for over 400 years in, in slavery, crying out, help, help, help. And then God rescues them in a dramatic way. We're going to bring them to Mount Sinai there. And Moses is on the mountain. And what's the first thing they do? They, they, they leave God behind for the, for the image of a, a golden calf, you know, a sacred cow. Wonderful. And, and so that's, and then Moses comes down and smashes it. So there's the, the, the law of like, mm -hmm you know, what is, why is God even bothering with these people? Like, that's the, the unfaithfulness, the fickleness of, of his people. And then you take that to today's, today's context, you know, how quickly do we forget about God? God, you know, reveals his goodness to us, his grace, his mercy, you know, on a Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon, you, know, you get a text message from someone, ah, what is God doing? God, God is angry with me. God, God hates me, blah, blah, blah. And, and all of a sudden that, that whole thing is just blown up because in our sinful weakness, um, we, we grasp, like Daniel said, for anything and everything out there, forgetting who it is that has you know, revealed himself to us so wonderfully 
Yeah. So that, yeah, that's a, a great idea. Uh, so keying off of that um, uh, verse eight or nine, uh, this is a stiff neck people. Well, why, why would that uh, term be applied to the Israelites? Well, let's flash back, not very far at all and uh, see an example of that. Um, right. An example that we can identify with. Um, Brad? I just think it's interesting that when when God does say to Moses, okay, I'm going to pass in front of you and I'm going to reveal my name to you, my goodness to you, my glory to you. You know, there is that change in terms, right? I'm going to reveal my glory to you means I'm going to reveal my goodness to you. And what's mentioned first over and over again is how the Lord is compassionate, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, he forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And what's at the center of God's name is this amazing compassion and mercy for sinners. And we get to preach that name uh, to people uh, this this weekend when we're preparing to preach it. Uh, what a privilege to proclaim the glory of God and his name and his forgiveness accomplished through his son, our Savior. So the gospel in the text right there in the name that God reveals, um, more thoughts about, about that, uh, either going back to malady thoughts or how to proclaim the gospel uniquely from this text, Daniel? You obviously can't go wrong when you are repeating God's own words and to look at what what he does almost in succession with like adjectives. And, and, and when people go through this text study, they know it, you know, it starts as like a God of right and fill in the blank and God puts a word there. And all of these things that you add to this list pertain to the malady. They all meet us. This is a, a revelation of God as he relates to us, right? There's no hidden God here. Um, there's no God of mystery, God of confusion, uh, God of anything, anything like that. This is a God of clarity that steps into our trouble and speaks to it. And every adjective, and then it builds, you know, to like a word phrase, and then it becomes this verbal activity phrase. They just continue to swell and build with more and more specificity how God is committed to dealing with us. And the most striking thing is that Moses can come back and say, we are stiff-necked, like our nature hasn't changed, mm -hmm. which you have just revealed to us of your free nature. You are God who could, you could do as you please. You have just revealed to us how you will remain bound to this. You will remain bound to us. And of course, that's a great launching pad for it to say the only way God can say the word forgive is in Christ. And you see a cross, you see a payment for sin. You know, um, this isn't just free forgiveness as a handout. This is something that costs our Savior, and it's the core of what God wanted to do. So more on that, of course, is coming next week. But here, as we look at the God who goes with us, we do see what course he's binding himself to as he works his way with us. Great thoughts, yeah, about yeah, bringing the, the gospel response in uh, in answer to uh, the unfaithfulness of the Israelites, there's the faithfulness of the Lord. And I like how you pointed out, Daniel, uh, how the Lord um, starts out with these adjectives and then the phrases expand a little bit and expand a little bit more. 
um, as he expounds on his constancy, his faithfulness. Uh, further thoughts on expressing the gospel, Jeremy? I would say the whole the whole thing just you know lends itself to saying God wants Moses, God wants his people to he wants to be with his people and his people with him. Um, and, and, and the way he comes to Moses, it's not, you know, this, you know, the, the thunder and lightning display. It's I'm going to put you can't see my face and live. I'm going to put you in the cleft of this rock. I'm going to put my hand in front of you. He comes in such a way that he is that you can you can stand next to him. And that's how that you know, starts in verse five. The Lord stood next to him and, and, and then proclaimed his name. And, and because he wants, you know, he wants to be with his people. And I think what a wonderful thing that God comes in such a way that you can see him, you can taste him, you can touch him, and he is near you and he is with you. And so now that God is going with Moses and the Israelites as they leave Mount Sinai on their journey, a God who the, the gospel predominates, as, as, as Brad said, I mean, it starts out with the gospel. This is his glory. This is, this is the attention that God wants to, to have. This is the renown. This is his reputation. So when they leave, that's who's going with us. The, the God who is faithful to his word, he is serious about sin, but, but overwhelmingly, he is also faithful to his forgiveness, faithful to his promise. And then you see that come in, you know, in, the, in the flesh 1,500 years later when, when Christ is born. Um, yeah, God wants to be with his people, and he wants his people to be with him for all eternity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brad? Yeah, I, I think one really vivid way to connect this text with Christ, as, as we just heard, is to look at that phrase, um, full of abounding in love and faithfulness, love and faithfulness, often a pair together in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, I think the way John says it is grace and truth. And so the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth have been given to us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He's the greater Moses. He's the one who actually revealed his name to Moses on the mountain. This is God in the flesh who has come into the world, and he is bringing us uh, love and faithfulness. And Jesus can say to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And everything we're preaching on in this text, uh, Jesus displayed in his words, his actions, his attitude. Uh, we see God most clearly when we look to Christ, and he is the fulfillment of these verses. Excellent thoughts. Yeah, it's such an, a, a clear bridge to our Savior here, full of grace and truth. I hadn't thought of that connection before. Um, Daniel? Another, maybe an extension of this gospel is if if we think that we're just sounding the same stuff in people's ears about talking about forgiveness of sins and peace with God, think about what, what Jeremy was describing with the, the union with God and how this, this God who remains with us continues to, in the language of the gospel, build his church. And in the context of Exodus 34, how you see Moses begin to use this name you, you have this unity between God and people that is not just established, but it's meant to continue. Just as like the Apostle Paul is going to say, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We may have identified the source, but this is also a beautiful beginning um, 
I ran across some dogmatics notes in my text study that uh, was describing what religion is, right? And we say, what is religion? Religion is there to for for union with God um, by by faith. It's it's there to create and establish a union with God. And how cool is it to see Moses at the end bow in worship as he celebrates this fullness and taking this language of you make us yours, right? This union and communion with God that is the treasure that he has and he knows. Now I can build my life. Now we can leave Sinai because I have a communion with God. So it's, yeah, it's gospel peace, but it's an, it's, it's enduring. It's going to last your whole walk through the wilderness. It's going to take you all the way to the promised land. So you have this great setting for the gospel clarity of what establishes the relationship, but you also have this great unity and communion with God as it goes forward. Great. And uh, I know Jeremy had mentioned that too, uh, the Lord stood there with Moses, and then Moses concludes by saying, uh, let the Lord go with us. Um, so yeah, bringing that, that closeness idea as a way of expressing the gospel from the text here. Um, what about uh, applying these truths, um, appropriation, application, thoughts, um, are you going to go with kind of uh, keying off the, the theme of the series? Um, uh, the, the church, God wants uh, a, a church who really knows who God is, who Jesus is, and God comes close to us and reveals himself. Do you also take it out into people's lives with those thoughts we've just mentioned about uh, God going with us and wanting to be with us and united with us? Uh, what type of things do you envision yourself emphasizing um, as you preach this text by appropriation application thoughts, Jeremy? Um, I, I would say it's a, it's a kind of a neat way to bring in the whole, the, the, without maybe saying it so much, but that the church is is people, right? We, you would say to somebody, what do you do on Sunday? I go to church. Well, on, on Sunday, the church meets at this place. But then when the, when the church is done gathering and worship, the church is also sent out then into the world. And, and, and yet when we go out into the world, um, I, th I think you have a kind of a cool little highlight there, a connection. We've said it several times now, the journey of the Israelites through the desert, leaving Sinai to the promised land. I mean, our, our, our lives mimic that. We are brought into relationship with God at baptism, and then we wander and through the, the, the desert of this world until we finally reach our promised land, which is which is heaven. Um, and so I think you have a really neat way to connect them and saying, um, when, when you, you, you leave today, you're, you're in your daily life and you're thinking, you know, driving your kids to school, or you're at work and so on, or you're, you're listening to the news and you're wondering, why am I even listening to this stuff? Don't forget that with all this that's going on and that the Israelites are going to see all kinds of stuff going on. Who is it that is there with you? Um, you have this really, this, this, is, this is practical stuff. I mean, the salvation that God gives to us it, it meets us in our daily lives. It, it gives us confidence. It gives us certainty. It gives us strength. And then as you see at the very end, it empowers Moses to worship. Why does he finally worship? He hears God proclaiming his name. And so we hear God's name being proclaimed on a Sunday morning, or we hear it in our daily devotions or whenever that is, that, that message empowers us to worship. And our worship is not just 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. on a Sunday morning. It's our entire life. It's our service. It's our vocation. It's doing all the things we do. Why, why are we empowered to serve? Why are we empowered to live? How does that happen? It happens through this God who comes to us, who fills us with himself, 
and then doesn't doesn't say, well, all right, I'm sending you out. Now you you figure it out from here. He takes us by the hand, says, I'm going to walk with you every step of the way and and use these things for your good and, and take all this evil. And I'm going to I will make I will make sense of it for for your life to bring you to your promised land. So really practical. I mean, rubber really hits the road here. This is not just like ethereal, you know, um, philosophical concepts. This is real life, everyday stuff that God is is giving his people here. Excellent. Uh, further thoughts on uh, uh, truths to hang on to and believe uh, apply to listeners' lives, Daniel? Uh, some of this is is maybe a repeat of what Jeremy just said, but um, the idea of where Moses is empowered, where any believer gets empowered in this the name that he's now heard and gets to celebrate is built into our worship when we talk about gospel predominance maybe not just a worship service, but even in our, in our life, right? God is giving a name here with gospel, clear gospel predominance. And in our applications, you can totally identify ways where we let something else dominate besides the gospel, whether it's for despair or for buttering myself up or whatever I'm saying to myself when I see myself in the mirror. And Jesus is replacing all of that. Our, our focus is turned outward to say, if you want to get through life, if you want in these great, these great terms, if you want to live um, surviving and thriving, you can't do it apart from the name of God. And this name of God is now to be dominant for you. It is going to be what guides and steers and powers um, and is the thrust of the church's existence and livelihood. It cannot be lost or we are lost. So everything is at stake in a name like this. Everything is falling on what God says to Moses and how beautiful it is that God fully meets our need and binds himself to us in these words. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, ideas for how to uh, structure a sermon or even theme ideas that you're uh, thinking about at this point. Um, things you can share with preachers that might uh, spark an idea for them. Uh, Daniel, back to you. Sure. I think maybe on, on the one hand, you could take what Moses asks of God, you know, show me your glory. It's not in the text here itself, but you could sort of say, it's, this is a good time for the church to look at what God wants. Let's reclaim the glory of God's name as a, as a theme. It's time to reclaim this. This is what God ultimately wants Moses to do, is to finish in, in the verses that as Moses does and to say, forgive us our sins. You said this. And Moses uses two of the words that God did, right? Uh, wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Two of those words Moses uses in his prayer. Let's reclaim the glory, the glory of God's name. First, to behold it. So we are a church who sees it right at what as what predominates, um, but then also to be blessed by it, as we are a church that that uses it. You think of what Brad mentioned before about the usage through the Old Testament, the proclamation that accompanies the the person of Christ, um, and and the declaration of God here. So we now have prayer. We're going to baptize our kids. We're like, we're steeled to use this. We are, we're zeroed in and encouraged with such clarity. I know the content of my faith and I'm going to pass this on to my kids. We're going to go to take the Lord's supper. You know, everything is just made rock solid as a, as that building foundation on this Sunday. 
Okay, so um, proclaiming the gospel of the, the Lord who reveals himself to us, who wants to be with us and with his compassion, mercy, forgiveness, faithfulness, and then kind of as the purpose of the sermon, reclaim the name of the Lord. So value that, hang on to that, make use of that, let that be at the center of our, our church. Uh, other ideas for uh, where to go with a, a theme, uh, main thought or main direction for the sermon. Um, Jeremy? Um, I, I think maybe if you wanted to latch on to the idea of, of faithfulness and grabbing that out of the text, there's kind of a, you know, with all those adjectives that are in there, and you get to abounding in love and faithfulness, it's almost kind of like you get this buildup, Lord to Lord, gracious, compassionate, God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, kind of like the apex of the, the whole thing. Um, and, and the faithfulness then comes in, especially comes in also at the, you know, in the second half, don't forget about it. God is faithful and serious, faithful to his, his, his promise to forgive, but he is also faithful to his word to, to punish sin. And so he is serious about sin. And so you, you could maybe, you know, and I had something like count on God's abounding faithfulness. Um, this the idea of this, this thing that just keeps bubbling up, whether it's a spring or a volcano at the top of the mountain that just keeps flowing. There's no end to it. You know, in a world that is filled with so much change, in a world that is that is constantly grabbing onto this truth or that truth or that truth. We have a God who is faithful in everything he says. When he, when he reveals himself, this is who I am and this is what I will do. And, and for, for generation after generation, this, he, he doesn't change and who he is doesn't change. And so we can proclaim that to our people and, 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 then, and then count on it as his people, right? So mm -hmm. we're, we're sharing this faithfulness. This is the God we worship. He, he hasn't changed he, he just is right. The Lord, the Lord, he, he is who he is. He, I am who I am. He, he doesn't change. And, and, and as often as we change, he doesn't change, but now you can going forward, you can count on an unchanging God. You can count on his faithfulness, a God who is forgiving, a God who is merciful and gracious, a God who is serious about sin. And so we proclaim God in all of his glory and everything, and we don't apologize for it. Um, but then we get to count on that then as God's people too. Right. Right. Uh, Brad. Yeah. I was kind of struck by the uh, opening words about how, you know, we should be able to take this for granted, right. That the name of the Lord is being proclaimed in our worship services and the devil's against God's name. The world is against God's name. My own sinful flesh wants to focus on other more exciting things than, than, repentance and forgiveness and and law and gospel but really god's name is glorified in our worship services and in our lives when his word is being proclaimed faithfully among us i just think this text connects so well with the first petition of the of the lord's prayer hallowed be your name that's the first prayer that jesus teaches us to to ask of our father in heaven that we would be able to to, to have his name holy among us. <laughs> and that happens when his word and his sacrament are the center of our worship, when we gather together and when we take God's word seriously as we go out into the world and, and live lives of repentance. And I think that theme would work well, uh, stealing it from the, from the first petition, hallowed be your name, and then unpacking that from this text. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, and I appreciate how all of you have mentioned this too, that this is um, not just uh, a truth to be uh, 
pondered for a while and then, you know, filed away in a file folder uh, for future use. But this is eminently practical. This is the God who is with us, who we need to be with us every day in our journey. And, and we can um, know that the name is with us, um, whatever we're doing as God's people. Daniel? Uh, I don't, I hope you don't mind another, uh, just perhaps an illustration that people could use when they think about this um, application process. God wants us to use this as the only way we remain in defining him, right? Jesus wants to be the son of man and the son of the living God and the Christ and to take that and to go off of there, nothing else. And you can quickly see how even in Old Testament times, people walk away from Sinai and what are they going to grumble and complain about? They instantly look at their life circumstances and where they find themselves in the desert for ongoing um, narrative. That's It's telling them a story of who God is all of a sudden, like, did you bring us out here to die and all these other on and on. And I think you have the same thing when our eyes are looking at experience around us to try to tell us something about God instead of the one thing he's given me um, and the words. I, why don't I just use the words, you know, but there's such a challenge we have in our, in our sinfulness to depart from God's clear place where he brings Moses and he brings us today um, and to put our eyes on some experienced version of God, um, almost sticking your finger in the wind or pick a picture of the, the flower petals, right? He loves me. He loves me not. What are you going to base it on? Uh, go to the word. Go to the word. Keep your eyes on the promise. That's where faith thrives. Yeah, good reminder. Valuable reminder for everybody every day, right? Uh, go to the name um, and treasure that name and use it. Um, further thoughts uh, as we Concluder, Jeremy? Um, maybe just as a, as a personal com or a comment to myself, and then as a preacher, you know, re you know, taking this upon yourself when you, you know, when, when we're ordained, the uh, pastor puts the um, stole on you. And it just, you're reminded, you know, I, you know, Jesus words, take my yoke upon you and learn from me and, and so on. But th there's also, it's also freeing to know that in, in this, when, when God, what God says here about himself is what he wants us to say about himself. Um, you know, that, that word glory, I try to sometimes, it, you know, to bring it to people's attention mind, I say, you know, it's, it's the word attention. God wants the attention. On Sunday morning in our worship services, God wants the attention. When, when our people leave on Sunday morning, where they say, man, pastor, great, great stories, good stuff, good stuff. You had us, had us rolling in the aisles laughing or um, will, we, will we get to hear, I saw Jesus today. Thank you for showing me Jesus. And I think there's that there's, a, there's a, a really subtle thing that God does in by revealing this, his faithfulness to law and gospel and by bringing the, this, his seriousness of sin in there, he's also opening the door then for us to really meet Jesus. If, if, you, don't know who the, if you don't know the seriousness of sin, you don't know the, how serious God is about, his, about, you know, about saving us and why do I need Christ? And so why am I drawing attention to Jesus so frequently on a Sunday morning? And never apologizing for it, never saying, oh, well, sorry, I had to talk about Jesus again this Sunday. I know you've heard it before. There, mm -hmm. There's no other place that we should be pointing people to as preachers. And we, we, we hear it, we, we've taken you know, ordination vows and all that, but it, it just bears repeating again and again for our own stubborn, sinful nature that wants the glory and attention, um, my will and my name be praised, but no, it's about him. 
And so just a, just a, a, a neat text to kind of be refreshed in our own preaching that this is who God is. This is the God who has called me. And this is the God who has given me a message. He has made me his mouthpiece to, to, to share him with, um, with his people. Yeah. Reorienting preachers to give God the attention that that's our job. That's our, our, our privilege. Brad. Yeah. Just to build on, on what Jeremy just said. Um, when are we successful preachers? When are we uh, successful worship leaders, right? Uh, it's not when they walk out of church saying, wow, that preacher can preach. <laughs> it, it's when they walk out of church saying, I am a, a sinful, uh, rebellious person, and I come to this relationship, I come to worship as a lowly sinner, but I have found great comfort here because my God is compassionate and gracious and his grace is, is much greater than my sin. And what a wonderful savior I have. He came for me and I have eternal hope in him. When people leave our worship services with that humble faith and that confident, joyful faith, we have, we've been good preachers and leaders of worship. Yeah, yeah. When people leave saying, I, I am someone who is a receiver of the compassion of God, uh, someone God is walking with every day, someone who knows the name of the true God in all its glory and grace and, and, and uh, the beauty that's there in that grace. Right. Exactly. Uh, Daniel. Perhaps another illustration that might prove helpful for people you could take from the parenting world you know, as you, as you think about the nature of this text and what God is trying to give to his people in his church, think of a parent that knows a child isn't fully understanding my decision-making, right, and my way with them. But I do summarize myself with them and say, I love you, I care about you, and you know that I want what's best for you. Mm -hmm. And they, but in the back of your mind as a parent, you know, they don't get it. They don't get me. They don't get it fully. They're still mad at me about this or that, right? And in the same way, God could say to all of us, um, you, you don't get to, uh, you won't know and understand everything about my way in this world, but you do need to know this. And you need a whole, you can hold me to this. I will always be this for you. It's such a crucial, special place. Um, it is, it's saving, right? It is saving for our souls. Um, and then some, when you think of the God who walks with you, I think that really helps people keep the anxieties and the worries and the, you know, experiential stuff that could cause confusion um, squelched in, you know, by faith in the, what Jesus is giving to us today. Yeah, beautiful gospel thoughts. Um, uh, all right, I think we'll wrap it up then for today. Thank you so much, um, Daniel, Jeremy, Brad. Uh, appreciate everything you've given to preachers here as they uh, set about this beautiful privilege and task of proclaiming the name of the Lord.